fill in and throw the ball and just see what happens. Um, but uh, today we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6. Uh, Steve is, um, for those of you who, who may not know, here's a point for prayer. Uh, Steve is traveling for denomination-related meetings. He sits on our national uh, board that oversees RUF ministries around the country, uh, and also some of these international RUF ministries that are getting launched, like um, uh, Colin and Zuri, who we met earlier in the year. Um, but he has to go about three times a year down to Georgia and have several days of meetings as they think about uh, what the PCA is doing on campuses and how we can minister effectively in college campuses and things like that. Uh, so this morning as we open in prayer, we're going to pray for Steve, uh, for his family, and for our denomination and for that ministry. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious and righteous Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that you have spoken to us in words of life and truth that you have given us your word of life, that you lay us bare before it very often. We thank you that you give us an opportunity and fellowship where we can gather together and we can see and hear uh, that you are good and we can read your word together and we can study it and grow in knowledge of it. Oh Lord, we pray that today as we come to your word, you would uh, do a mighty work, that you would work in our hearts to see uh, the deliverance that you worked for Daniel, uh, and to see your great character, that you are the living God whose dominion uh, lasts forever, who does mighty works and wonders, uh, who delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Oh, Lord, we pray uh, that you would uh, remind us of your immense power and your glory and the magnitude of your mercy. Gracious Father, we pray that you would uh, care for Steve, even as this morning he is uh, he's traveling and has to be uh, down for some church business. We pray that you would... Uh, allow him, uh, O oh Lord, to, uh, to worship uh, wherever he is, wherever he is uh, able to find a church today. We pray that he would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth with other believers. And we pray for these meetings over the next couple days that you would be glorified in them. Give those who meet uh, and those who discuss much wisdom as they seek uh, to be faithful on our campuses. And we pray for those campus ministers uh, today as they get a break from uh, their campus ministry and are connected to local churches and as you... Uh, as you feed and refresh their souls, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in them. Oh Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified among us uh, as you refresh us with your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are today in uh, the quintessential Sunday school lesson, uh, reading the probably the most famous narrative in the book of Daniel, one of the most uh, famous narratives in the Bible, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. Before we uh, read that passage, just a, a word of introduction, and uh, again, apology if I, I got Steve's notes, but I've been downstairs in another class, so if I go in a direction that you guys have already covered at length, somebody steer me back in another direction, and we'll, we'll get back on course. Uh, but just a, a word of introduction, and something to think about, uh, not only as, uh, you know, for me, I, I think about it very often when I'm teaching or when I'm preaching, uh, but you, as, as you're reading God's word, as you're involved in Bible studies, one of the questions uh, that we often interact with is, well, how, do we, how do we manage to read and to study uh, the narratives that we find in the Bible? Especially some of the narratives in the Old Testament. We know that many of the narratives in the New Testament are about Jesus, and so we focus on who he is and what he's done. Uh, but we, we read these stories about heroes, and sometimes it's hard to grapple with what, what do we think about them, what do we do with them? Uh, one uh, interpretation, one stream of interpretation, sort of uh, the, the classic way of viewing these stories like Daniel, uh, is to focus on Daniel as an example of piety and godly steadfastness. Uh, and so we, uh, we get from this approach songs uh, like Dare to be a Daniel, Standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, Honor them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. And it goes on to sing more about uh, Daniel's band. And it almost sounds like a, a biblical version of the few and the proud. Uh, dare to be a Daniel. And so that, that's a, one interpretation that primarily Daniel is for us a, a character model, an example that we are to follow. Now, more in, in recent years, there's been a push against that. Uh, as, as we rightly see, that really all scripture is about God and about his redemption. And so we focus less and less on Daniel 
uh, and more and more on the power of God to deliver his people. Um, that, that is uh, what we find, especially at the end uh, of Daniel 6. We find this decree from King Darius, which is a nice feed into the prophecy that will come in chapter 7 and more, talking about God. And so, and so in a sense, a, a reaction against the moralizing tendency of the past, many focus on uh, of the God of Daniel, uh, and they forget uh, his courage and his bravery. But I think both extremes, if we take them on their own, both extremes are a mistake. Uh, we find several uh, helpful ways to read uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We find in Luke chapter 24, Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them uh, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so there is a a, a redemptive Christological focus in all of the scriptures. It's talking about what God has done and what he was preparing to do in the past to bring Christ into the world. And it is good and it is right that we see God's deliverance, his vindication of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 as a, a microcosm of what God was going to do later. But we also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, this here speaking about passing through the waters and, and the exodus in the Old Testament, uh, Paul writes, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so it's right for us to read about our heroes of the Old Testament and say, what did they do that was pleasing to the Lord? And whatever is true and right and lovely and of good repute, let's put our minds on these things and let's, let's not forget the God of Daniel, but let's not forget the courage of Daniel either as we read about Daniel uh, in the lion's den. Uh, now, the, the narrative itself doesn't need much of an introduction. You are all well familiar uh, with Daniel chapter 6 and the events that lead to Daniel and the lion's den and his deliverance and, and all the things that go along with that. But, but one commentator I found gives us a helpful summary of the, the tensions that are at play underneath the surface, and I wanted to read that introduction for you. Um, he says, on the one hand, in Daniel 6, on the one hand we have Darius, ruler of all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, an enforcer of the law of the Medes and the Persians. And on the other hand, we have the God of Daniel, working signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, an enforcer of the Jewish law. And the kingdoms overlap, and the question of sovereignty has to be resolved. That's the tension that we find uh, in Daniel chapter 6, this idea that you've seen already throughout Daniel. This is in some sense, repetitive from Daniel chapters 1 through 5, that kingdoms are coming and kingdoms are going, but it's the Lord who is sovereign over all of these things. It's the Lord who is directing and delivering his people. Uh, but it gets again to this question of who is actually in charge. And he says, uh, this commentator says, the question of sovereignty has to be resolved. Uh, and so let me uh, now read, we'll read together Daniel chapter 6, uh, and then we'll get into some discussion uh, on what we find here. Hear God's word as we find it in Daniel chapter 6. Actually, let's back up to Daniel chapter 5, uh, verse 30, those last two verses there. It says, That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition 
to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king. And they said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. You know, it's interesting that we have several children's Bibles at home. Um, and I'm pretty sure that all of them, when they deal with this chapter, leave out uh, verse 24. Uh, that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. We, we sort of skip over that little part there, uh, that they and their families were crushed uh, before they even reached the bottom. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll have time to look at that uh, a little bit. Now, um, as we look at this text, it unfolds in, uh, in four sort of sections. Uh, we'll look at them in turn as, as the Lord enables us. We have first the end of, of chapter 5 up to about verse 9 of six of chapter 6. And here we see that, that Daniel, in his position, is drawing false accusations uh, from those who are around him. That he serves faithfully, uh, and that faithful service, and perhaps some other aspects of his, uh, his person, his character, uh, puts him in the line of sight for false accusations. So we see that first, this plot uh, hatched against him. And then 
uh, beginning in verse 10 and going to about verse 18, uh, Daniel remains steadfast, even as the accusation entrapped him, and it also entraps Darius. Uh, we get the sense that, that Daniel and Darius are together in this. It's a little bit different than, uh, than what we saw earlier with the king uh, trying to put to death those Jews and those ones who don't uh, conform to the, to the kingdom that they've set up. But Darius, we almost, we almost feel bad for him. Uh, he, is, he is trapped in this law that he has made, and, and he can't even do anything about the law of the Medes and the Persians. So it entraps Daniel, it entraps Darius. And then in, uh, beginning in verse 19 through 24, Daniel is rescued, uh, and the accusers are destroyed. So there's this great reversal there, uh, a vindication theme for Daniel. Uh, and then finally it ends with Darius's decree, which again is a, a wonderful uh, switch uh, from chapter 6 into chapter 7. I want you to notice uh, there um, what it says in verse 26. Darius says, beginning in that prophecy, He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. Uh, but look over at chapter 7. The first vision that we'll see uh, next week, Lord willing, as, as Steve comes back, um, Verse 14, chapter 7, verse 14 of the, the one like a son of man. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so we have the, the, um, the plot, uh, the entrapment, uh, the deliverance, and the decree. Um, and there's a lot here actually that reminds us of what we've seen already, even if you had never read Daniel chapter 6 before, if it was not such a familiar passage to all of us, you would read chapter 6 after having read chapters 1 through 5 and say, well, that sounds familiar. I've seen something a little bit like that already. And if you remember, uh, in Steve's first class, he told us about the sort of uh, parallel structure in Daniel, where there are a lot of these, uh, these passages, these chapters that have a twin uh, somewhere else uh, in, the, uh, in the passage. So, so chapters 2 and 7 uh, present uh, four world empires. Uh, so the, the vision of Nebuchadnezzar and then the vision of Daniel. Chapters 3 and 6, there's the twin for this one, present narratives of God's mighty deliverance. Uh, and then chapters 4 and 5 describe God's judgments on world rulers. So there's something familiar here for us, so we're not surprised to see it resolve the way that it does. Uh, but I wonder if we could start by just talking about some of the things that we see uh, that are familiar for us. Uh, perhaps uh, the familiarity of, uh, of chapter 6 and, and compare it with chapter 3. What are some of the, the parallels that you see between chapter 6, Daniel's deliverance from the den of lions, uh, and chapter 3, the deliverance of the three friends uh, from the fiery furnace. What do you notice? Ronnie. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, there is, uh, there is this, um, almost this pride, um, even in, in Darius, although it, it certainly comes from a different place. Um, so that's one of the differences, and we'll talk about differences in a little bit, but, but, um, so Nebuchadnezzar wants to exalt himself and his own religion, and Darius is there, and, uh, and these accusers play into his pride. Why don't you do this? Yeah, that's a pretty good idea, actually. Let's, let's make sure that nobody can pray but to me for 30 days. Yeah, so, so it's this, this idea of, of uh, the pride of the ruler in exalting themselves. Dave, what did you see? Absolutely. Yeah, so um, take a look back in chapter 3. Uh, it's in verse 8. It says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Uh, so there is, there is malice aforethought in this. They're not just, oh, you know, king, you need to, you need to see something that's going wrong. But they've, they've singled out uh, those who are Jewish uh, for destruction, that they are going after them for, for whatever reason it is. Um, did, did we see any, uh, any character similarities between these three friends in chapter 3 and Daniel uh, in chapter 6 that might have led uh, to these false accusations or their positions and, and what was going on in the kingdom? 
Yeah, you notice what it said there in um, chapter 3. I'm sorry, in, in chapter 6, verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. That's been uh, sort of the catchphrase to describe Daniel all throughout this book. Beginning back in chapter 1, uh, and then uh, certainly in chapter is it 5, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, um, or chapter 4, rather. Nebuchadnezzar brings him because uh, he has an excellent spirit, and he can understand all visions and dreams. And here he is again, constant as he ever has been, um, and, uh, and that puts him in the line of fire. Yes. Anything else? Jason. Yeah, and so it is, it is not, and we saw that with the accusations against Daniel. They can't find anything with regard to the kingdom because he's faithful. Um, and so they, they find something with regard to uh, their religious practice. Now, there's a, a little difference there between, uh, between Daniel and the three friends. Uh, did you notice, uh, perhaps, the, um, the three friends are tempted to engage in false worship? I don't care what you do on your own. But when the music plays, you dance. Uh, you know, uh, when, when, when the song strikes up, you get out on the dance floor. Or, or you know, uh, you bow before the, uh, the idol. Uh, you do what is expected of you. And it's, it's reversed for Daniel. He's not tempted to engage in false worship, but he's tempted to leave off true worship. He would be okay, in a sense, if he would just stop praying for 30 days. Just give it a break, Daniel. Or... Uh, we'll look at his response in, in a minute. But, uh, but yeah, so there's a little bit of a difference there, but, but very similar, just the same. What else? Um, it's interesting uh, that, that when they accuse him later, they actually, and, and this is one of the, the similarities, one of the constancies that we see in Daniel, they actually point beyond Babylon. They say, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. Now, let, let's get it out of our minds, because again, the, uh, all of the children's story Bibles uh, picture Daniel at this point in the narrative, still in his teens. He is not in his teens. This is a man probably in his 80s. He has served faithfully in some capacity under now three kingdoms. He grew up as a youth uh, in Judea. He was taken away to Babylon where he served faithfully for the majority of his adult life uh, and was found perfect and all these things, so much so you, you learned last time that the queen mother remembers uh, Daniel and his service to uh, to you know, your father, Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's brought in. He's got this track record of serving faithfully in Babylon. Um, and now he's serving again in the Persian kingdom. Um, and yet, even, even though they have this malicious accusation against him, there is actually nothing on him with regard to the kingdom. Isn't this a, a wonderful thing for us to see? If we're talking about Daniel in terms of uh, a character example for us. Would that verse 5 could be said of all the believers in this room. That as the world comes against us and they want to find something to accuse us with, uh, they start with the skeletons that are in everybody else's closet. Well, maybe, maybe they're a, a, a loaf at work. Maybe they just don't work very hard. Maybe th there's some scandal somewhere and they can't find anything, but you know where we can get them. Uh, le let's get them on their religious observances because we know they're so steadfast that they're not going to turn, they're not going to, uh, to alter on those things. Yeah, Ronnie. It is, it is certainly old uh, for those days, uh, and it could be uh, that uh, he's, he's showing God's favor. It, it probably also would have been uh, sort of um, 
he would have been highly esteemed as a man of wisdom. Uh, not only is he, is he uh, says that he's got a, a, a wonderful and excellent spirit in him, but they would have, uh, probably Darius would have looked at him and, and said, here's, here's a sage, here's an older man who, uh, who is a wise man. Now it says Darius was also 62, so he was getting up there for the time. Not quite as old as Daniel. Um, but yeah, so, so there are all these, uh, these strains and, and these tensions going on behind the scenes, and yet Daniel is steadfast and he's faithful. John, what do you see? Hmm. least that was the plan yeah at least that was the plan that you toss them in there and they're done um, you know I mean the idea of a lion's den is really pretty simple you dig a pit and you put lions in it I mean you, you know there's not a, a whole lot you have to you have to plan for and you throw them some meat and every once in a while you throw them a, a prisoner uh, now now some of those scholars and the critics uh, who don't believe in God's almighty power they look at this and they say well Actually, what probably happened is that Darius figured out a way to drug the lions uh, so that they were just kind of sleepy or whatever it was. And so he was tossed in there, but he was delivered not by divine intervention, but by human means. What, what do you see in the passage that allows you to say, well, there's no possible way. That's what's going on. Before they even reach the bottom, yeah. These are... These are lions uh, doing what lions do. They're, they're pouncing on the prey. Um, and, and so it should have worked almost like that, John. It should have been this quick, you know, let's get rid of this person who is a troublemaker uh, in the Persian kingdom. Um, but it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the response of the king. Both of them, uh, in, in the first one, uh, and there's a little bit more pride on Nebuchadnezzar's part. Who is the God that will deliver you from my hand? And he's brought, uh, as he's brought again uh, in chapter 4, to be humbled and to say, actually, uh, there was a God, uh, quite frankly, who was able to deliver from my hand, and, and I'm not as powerful as I thought I was. Uh, Belshazzar, um, I'm sorry, Darius, rather, um, actually prays. He, he entrusts Daniel into the hand of his God. May God deliver you. Uh, and uh, and he's, maybe he's learned a lesson that Nebuchadnezzar took a lot longer uh, to learn, and he, he ends with this decree. Good. Good. often happens that way. Um, you think about um, the exodus. Well, well, why the exodus? Why, why, not, um, why not do it in a, in a more subtle way? The Lord says that he has mercy on whom he will have mercy. He hardens whom he will harden. Why not just convince that the, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord? Why not just turn Pharaoh's heart so that he says, actually, yeah, why don't you guys go ahead? get out of here. Yeah, you're, you're okay. Uh, but it doesn't work that way. Uh, there is this exodus, and there is this hardening, and there is this almost sort of cosmic battle happening in Egypt, because the Lord says, I'm going to get glory over Pharaoh. And as they're coming in towards the promised land, it starts to tell us about how the hearts of all the people melted before them, because they heard how the Lord had, had separated uh, the Red Sea and delivered them from the hands of Egypt and everyone was in fear because God got glory over this pagan kingdom. It happens again uh, here. It happens again later after Daniel through Esther. Um, you know, again through these decrees, and you've, you've pointed out exactly Darius at the end 
uh, to all the nations and peoples and languages, everyone in my holy empire. Uh, you need to know what, what Daniel's God is capable of. And the same thing happens uh, in, uh, in the end of Esther. Remember that note at the end of Esther where many people uh, became Jews uh, because fear of the Lord went out to all the people because they were given, they were given freedom to kill their enemies, actually. Uh, and so many of them claimed to be Jews because they didn't want to enter into that fate or because they actually saw the, the reversal that the Lord had worked. And this is, this is what God does. Uh, you know, very often, what do, we, uh, what do we think about when we think of, um, you know, the persecuted church in the world? And there's that phrase that's echoed throughout the centuries, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because you see that, and you see nations rise up. Uh, you know, it, it's a Psalm 2 moment, almost. Uh, you know. And the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. And he who sits in heaven laughs. <laughs> and he says, I've appointed my king on my holy hill, and, and I, I'm going to do this, and, and you are powerless uh, to stand in front of me. And so we see this, this question of sovereignty already being uh, decided. Now, now, what was the point of this decree of Darius? Politically, religiously, what was he trying to get at, or what were these accusers uh, what was so uh, attractive about this particular decree for Darius? Bill? It almost sounds like they all were. My guess, um, my guess is that there is a smaller group of accusers who band together. Uh, notice when they come before Darius, they, they give the impression that everybody is in on this. All the satraps, governors, and prefects have, have agreed. Um, so it, it, well, it's certainly a lie because Daniel hasn't agreed. Nobody's consulted him, who's one of the top three uh, counselors. Um, and then my, my guess is that at the end, uh, Darius took that small band of men, whoever they were, who gathered together and, and fed him lies about the kingdom uh, and probably destroyed them in their pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard Dave and then, or was that you, Brian? The deep state? Okay, okay. I'll, t I'll take your word on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll take your word on that one. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> I knew it was a joke. I just couldn't place it. Uh, Dave, did I, did I hear your? Yeah. This is an opportunity to solidify his power base. Um, that not only, uh, you know, we've just heard the end of chapter 5, that very night, Belshazzar was killed and King Darius uh, received the kingdom. Uh, and soon after, we don't know how long it took, but he's, he's establishing his kingdom and he's taking over the Babylonian Empire. And so what better way uh, than to control not only the, the taxes and the revenue in, in the Babylon Empire, uh, but to control their prayers and petitions and their religious life and every aspect uh, of the people he's now ruling to flex his political muscle, in a sense, uh, to show them who's in charge. Yeah, this is, this is really attractive for Darius. Why not? Let's do this. Uh, I, there's, there's something to be gained here.
yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of irony here, especially if um, when it says, oh, verse 18. You found it well there, John. Uh, then the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that he was praying, but what do you normally do when you're fasting? You normally pray. So is it possible uh, that this injunction went out uh, to flex Darius's political and religious muscle, and then he is undone by this, and he himself spends the night fasting uh, and seeking help, divine help, whether it's his gods or Daniel's god or whatever his religious understanding is, he is humbled. Uh, and I think this, this uh, declaration at the end comes out of a heart that is really uh, wrestled to submission by the Lord to say, you can't even overturn you know, the laws of your own kingdom, uh, but I can. Uh, you know, Darius is, is under the, the law of the land, the rule of law, uh, but the Lord is not bound by the laws of men. Uh, and, and the laws of nature, the, yeah, yeah, he shuts the, the mouths of the lions. Yes, so good, uh, good irony there. Scott? And I think that recognition that he had been had um, plays in a little bit at verse 24. Um, there is this irony here that these governors and prefects come uh, and not only make this injunction, but then later accuse Daniel. And they found a way to make his religious convictions a kingdom problem. Right? And they found a way to make it look like he's subversive to the empire. Um, and that they are the loyal ones, when in actuality they are trying to, to move the king in their own direction. They're, they're utterly disloyal. Um, you know, notice the way that they, they come and they speak to him. Oh, king, didn't you, didn't you do this? Uh, they don't come out with, uh, here's what Daniel did. They, they want to remind the king, uh, you did this, and it's bound by the, the law of the Medes and the Persians. Can't be, didn't you do that? Oh, yes, yes, I did. Well, in that case... <laughs> Uh, and, and it's a gotcha moment for them. And I think you're right. Uh, Darius knows that he's been had. Now, uh, let's take a look at, at what Daniel does. It begins in verse 10. We know uh, by years of exposure that, that Daniel responds the right way uh, to this accusation. Um, we know uh, that it's good that he continues. Um, but notice the way that he continues, what he does, uh, his, his character, his constancy, his faithfulness. What are the pitfalls that Daniel avoids by responding the way he does? It says in verse 10, when he knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. What does he avoid by the way that he responds? Wrong steps that he, that he does not take. He doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he, he doesn't allow the changing circumstances of his life to change his holy habits. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you notice, um, so I love that little phrase, as he had done previously. And this is not a crisis prayer. It doesn't say that when he knew, he went to his room and prayed really hard immediately. It's giving us his continued program, in a sense. When he knew, he went to his room three times a day. This is a, this is a long uh, you know, sort of view of what he's doing. I don't think they came and found him the first time he went in prayer. But he continued regularly, as he had done before, three times a day. Yeah, so he, he does not change based on his circumstances. Scott? He's, he's got these open windows, um, but he's in an upper room. This is at least a second-story window, um, and it's probably, you know, the architecture of the time, the windows are higher in the house for, for breeze and letting, you know, the hot uh, air uh, escape the, the room. Um, so he could probably see out, but unless they had a ladder, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're looking for it. Yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't hide. Yeah, so he doesn't change. He doesn't hide. What else? Brian? And then in the back. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, it's almost voyeuristic, but it, it shows that, that Daniel didn't respond by going to the nearest street corner and getting a megaphone and a soapbox, and now I will stand up and proclaim. He, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it was a trap set to, 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 get, to catch David the whole time. In the back, though. Uh, chapter 11. Yeah, I can, I can uh, read that. Hebrews 11. Let's all turn there together. Hmm, let me see it. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. Now, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, were you tying that to his open doors toward Jerusalem? Or, or what were you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. So, so three kingdoms, and yet he remains faithful. It doesn't matter if he's in Judea, doesn't matter if he's under Babylonian rule, doesn't matter if he's Persian, uh, then he is continually steadfast. Um, and I think you're right, you know, this, this idea he prayed three times a day probably didn't start when the Persians took over. Uh, this, is, this is his long-standing practice uh, to look to the Lord. Um, and, and how about that aspect? Why is he praying toward... Jerusalem. It says explicitly 
that he is praying toward Jerusalem. Is it, is it superstitious? Is he looking? Does he, does he want to go back to Jerusalem? Is that his end goal? Is that what he's hoping for? Is it something else? Okay. Okay. That's where they saw God's presence in Jerusalem in the temple. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, it, once you get to chapter 9, I'll be back downstairs with all the young parents. Once you get to chapter 9, uh, you're going to see that Daniel knows the times and the seasons. He knows what's going on. He knows the prophecy of Jeremiah, and the times are almost at an end. Seventy years of exile, they're going to go back. He has been faithfully looking, not that Jerusalem is this, this place. I, I, I love what uh, Hebrews says there. They're not just looking for a, a different land, not just looking for a, a different homeland, but they're seeking something greater, and they're seeking the place where the Lord has put his name. And you're right, uh, it, First Kings, Second Kings 8, uh, one of those two, um, it, was, uh, it was Solomon at the dedication of the temple. Uh, and it's not some superstitious thing. He says, will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less the house that I've built, yet have regard to the prayer of your servants and to this place, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. It was, it was connecting with the promises of the Lord to hear and to answer his people. Um, and so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't this superstitious sort of thing. It wasn't even the idolatry of Jerusalem. Oh, if we could get back to Jerusalem. Um, it would be a wonderful thing if they could be back in Jerusalem. And all the Jews longed to be back in Jerusalem, but it wasn't, it wasn't what captured Daniel's heart. Uh, and in fact, he... he he, we see the embodiment in Daniel of what the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, that when you go, seek the good of the city. For in that prosperity will you find your prosperity. They're not just, oh, everything would be fine if we could be in this different place. But it is this idea of, of God's promise and seeking God's promise and his goodness. Oh, that we, could, that we could go back to slavery where we had cucumbers and meat in abundance. And the Lord is able to give them so much quail that they'll be sick of it in a couple days. Um, yeah, good. Let, let's, um, yes, absolutely. It was a physical action by Daniel. I think the, the text indicates to us that he, he literally, physically oriented himself toward Jerusalem. Um, and, and I'll let Steve deal with chapter 9 when he gets there, but he certainly, he prays anticipating that the Lord will bring about the return of the exiles. So he is looking forward to a physical return to Jerusalem. Um, but, but it's not as though a physical return is his greatest joy and hope. He looks to Jerusalem, I think, because of what Solomon prayed. The highest heavens can't contain you, much less the house that I've built. Yet, you have chosen to put your name here. And so, Lord, hear your prayers. And he's, you know, we've got this pagan king issuing this edict. Um, and really, when you, when you think about what he's doing, um, it doesn't seem as though Darius is declaring himself to be a deity. Uh, one of the commentators said something like, we see uh, rulers doing that from time to time, but it's, it's hard to imagine that a, a ruler would put such a time limit on his own deity. 30 days, and then I'm, I'm done. Uh, but but it's, it's this sort of um, political uh, maneuvering to say, I am the channel through which you can reach the divine realm. And for a limited period of time, all of your prayers have to go through me. Um, and, well, he, he doesn't have to go through Darius. He doesn't even have to go through Jerusalem technically, and yet it is the Lord who has said uh, through uh, Solomon when he prophesied that prayer, I will hear uh, when my people pray to me on this holy mountain, I will hear. 
Um, and so, so he turns himself. So yes, I think he is looking forward to the physical return. You'll see that in chapter 9. But that's not his, his end goal. That's not his greatest hope. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Dave, for our ending note. This is, this is where we need to end. Um, and actually, if you look through the, um, the art of the very early church, you'll find lots of parallels um, in, in pictures and, and uh, representations and mosaics and things comparing Daniel and Jesus for just that reason. Think about the, the parallels, not just with the three friends, but this malicious accusation, the the ruler who labors to set him free, reluctantly handing him over uh, to a certain death sentence, sealed in a tomb, sealed with a signet, uh, and then coming forth, notice what Daniel says. And Daniel obviously did not die, but notice what he says when he comes forth. It's a, it's a personal vindication. The Lord sent his angel to deliver me because I was found innocent. And against you, O king, have I done nothing wrong. And so it's a personal vindication. What is, what is the resurrection but a vindication that he is the righteous one who bore the sin of his people and was crushed because of the will of the Father? And he comes forth vindicated that death itself cannot hold him because he is utterly innocent. Uh, and he rises again in, in vindication and hope to the rest of his people. And the story is different, obviously. There's a, a real death for Christ. Uh, and, and it wasn't a den of lions, it was a tomb. Uh, but this is ultimately where we need to go uh, and, and what we need to see. Thank you. Um, let's, let's turn uh, in prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord and God, we thank you uh, for the way that we have seen some of your glory and your goodness today. We pray that you would help us more and more uh, to dig deep into who you are. And what you're doing through your people, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Prepare us as we come together for corporate worship. Uh, prepare us to sing your praises with joy. Uh, prepare us to uh, come to your table in faith. Prepare us to hear and to, uh, to lay up your word within our hearts that we might not sin against you. Oh Lord, do a work in the hearts of your people. For the sake of your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks.